Well, good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. Happy Father's Day to all the dads in here this morning. You know, um, a word on Father's Day, and then we'll dig into the text. But I hope that that all you dads in here that you recognize that God has given us men uh, an extremely unique and immensely important role in the lives of our children. And I hope that knowing that spurs you on as a dad, especially, you know, in those times when just everything kind of feels like it's coming against you and you're kind of being pressed on all sides to remember the importance of the role that God has given you as the father of your children. That we have this particular God-gifted role that has eternal implications to it. And we have to remember that the sons and the daughters that are in our homes are more important than anything that's going on outside of our home. You're so important in the lives of your children. And I know that the men in here know that, the the dads in here, you know that, but sometimes we can get so bogged down in just stuff, right? Things going on in our lives. And we need to be reminded of that every once in a while. You are uniquely designed by God to impact your children's life in a way that mom can't and vice versa. It's how God designed it to work. And so before we dig into God's word this morning, I just want to take a moment together and I want to pray for all of us dads in here. I want to pray that the Lord would encourage us this morning, that the the Lord would strengthen us this morning. And in those areas where he needs to convict us, that the Holy Spirit would convict us as the dad of our children. So would you pray with me for the dads in here today? Heavenly Father, thank you for the men in this place. Lord, specifically this morning, thank you for the dads. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen their hand. You have gifted them children, and you have given them a unique role to play. A role that does have eternal implications to it, Father. And so I ask, Lord, that you would encourage the men in here. That they would take that role that you have given them seriously. That they would pour into the lives of their children. That they would raise them up in your ways and teach them your ways. Father, that that they would love their wives well. God, would you encourage us this morning as dads? And Lord, where we need your loving conviction, would you speak to us? Maybe we have kind of our priorities out of place this morning and we need to realign them with what really matters. And so, Father, help us to do that. And Lord, I pray for those who... Father's Day is... A challenging day. Maybe because of the relationship with their own dad or the loss of a father. Lord, would you comfort them this morning? And Lord, for all of us, I pray that we would leave a legacy for our children that would point to Jesus Christ as the utmost and the most important thing. Thank you for your grace and your patience with us. Help us to have grace and patience for our children. In Jesus' name, amen.
So if you have your Bibles, you can open to Proverbs 31. I'm not speaking directly to dads this morning. I'm speaking to men in general and and young men at certain points specifically. Uh, And so I mentioned on Mother's Day, for those of you who are relatively new to the church, that every year I take time out on Mother's Day to speak to the women and Father's Day to speak to the men. So that's what this morning's message is going to be focused on. It'll be focused on the men in here. Although women, I can guarantee you that if you're married or you want to be married, you'll be interested in what we're talking about this morning. So so make sure you're paying attention. Um, I'd also mention on Mother's Day when I spoke on Proverbs 31. And if you weren't here for that, as Cam was reading it this morning, you're probably like, what is going on? <laughs> like, what's, what's happening here? Um, I said that I'd be using the same text this morning for the men. And like I say, it may seem unusual because that scriptural focus of Proverbs 31 is a godly woman, right? But I do believe that there are some important principles in some of those verses that men can learn. And I love to use the same text when I'm speaking to men and women so that we can get the full context. And so if you weren't here for Mother's Day and you want to get the full context of that text, then go back and listen to uh, the Mother's Day message. This morning, I'm going to be focusing pretty much primarily on verses 10 and 11 and verse 28 and 29. I've entitled this message, Recognizing and Exalting the Preciousness of an Excellent wife. And so I'm approaching this message this morning from the assumption that men, if you are not married, but one day desire to be married, then you hope to find an excellent woman to be your wife. I'd say that's probably the goal for all of the young men in here. And if you're currently married, it's because you have found an excellent woman to be your wife, which is why you married her, right? We're all on the same page. Okay, good. Thank you. (laughs) So in this message, just so you you know where I'm going a little bit, I'm not I'm not going to be wading much into the nuances and challenges that come with marriage and the reality that your wife is imperfect, as are you. And so you will both not be able to love one another perfectly all the time. And there will arise in your relationship uh, these gaps that can happen between your expectation in certain situations and what actually occurs, right? We all know if we're married, marriage comes with some disappointments, disagreements, and challenges. And I'm not ignoring those this morning. I'm not trying to paint some idyllic picture of marriage. I just don't have time to delve into all of those new Nuances today. I have to do a, a marriage series, which actually Kate's been bothering me to do for a bit. She's like, please do a marriage series. So I may, I may do that when I can focus in on all the dynamics. And so this morning, my message stems simply from the assumption that you have chosen, if you're married, an excellent wife, or you want to have an excellent wife. And, and she is determinedly pursuing and loving the Lord and determinedly pursuing and loving you, though maybe imperfectly. And so Proverbs 31, verse 10 to 31, we talked about this on Mother's Day. It is an acrostic poem in the Hebrew, and it personifies wisdom as a woman. And so we we need to understand that this poem is not literal. It is not a biography of an actual woman. It is a picture of wisdom in the form of a godly woman. And so it is to be learned from, but it is not a checklist of everything that a godly woman has to be. 
And so I will say to us men, a similar thing that I said to the women when I spoke on this passage, that it was by God's grace that he made your wife or your future wife the way that he did. She is fearfully and wonderfully made with the deepest value as an image bearer of your heavenly father. And in his wisdom, he knitted into her specific talents and specific skills that she has, as well as specific weaknesses that she has. She's been given certain capacities and some limitations. He has made her body and her mind and her heart unique. God, in his good and wise design, made her exactly as he did. Oh, guys, that was an easy amen. Come on, that was easy. And so when I was talking to the women, I said, based on that fact, Do not then put a weight on yourself through prideful comparison to another woman that God made different than you, thinking you have to be like her and excel at what she excels at when God has not put that weight or expectation on you. He made you to be you, not someone else. And so I would say this morning the same thing to the husbands and the future husbands in here. Do not put a weight on on your wife based on your expectations or a comparison of her to another woman when God has not put such a weight upon her because that will quickly crush your wife. For example, I know that my wife is an excellent cook. I know that she excels in the kitchen. I also know that she loves people very well. And she is very expressive of that love. And so I can be guaranteed that I'm going to be fed very well. And that my children are going to be loved and cherished. And that I will experience that tangible love from my wife. Meanwhile, I also know. (laughs) I ask for permission. I always ask for permission. I know that my wife can have a genuine struggle with cleaning and specifically laundry. It's just a block for her. And so if I come home expecting an immaculate house and all the laundry taken care of, I mean, put aside the fact that she's got three kids at home. So like, right, put that aside. But if I come home expecting this immaculate house and the laundry is taken care of, then I'm putting a weight on her that I know just stresses her out. And I need to come alongside her in those things. For some of you wives in here, the opposite is true. You can keep an immaculate house. You love doing laundry, but being in the kitchen stresses you out. (laughs) We have to understand our wives well. This doesn't mean that there's not space to challenge areas of weakness in marriage. That is certainly proper when engaged in the right way. It is to say that your expectations of your wife should not be unachievable for her. But based on how God knitted her together. The way we avoid placing an unrealistic weight upon our wives is by intimately knowing and understanding her. This is what. Peter speaks of in 1 Peter 3, 7, when he says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, 
The Greek word that's translated understanding has this really rich meaning to it. It means, it means have a working knowledge. Right? So in this case, of your wife. Have a working knowledge of your wife that is gleaned from your firsthand experience of her and applied in a practical way. So it's not just about knowing your wife like in theory. It means applying what you know about her in a practical way. So, for example, I took piano lessons when I was a kid. Thanks, Mom and Dad. And, and part of those lessons was music theory, right? where they teach you all the concepts of how music works together. And it's great to know, but really just sits in your head until you actually play piano and use that knowledge that you have practically. We need to know our wives and apply that knowledge in practical ways. And so there's a lot that we could unpack from 1 Peter 3, 7. But, but I would say this, that it means a, a husband's role is that he is a lifelong studier of his wife. That's our role as husbands. A lifelong studier of our wives. And it's vice versa. Women should be studying their men as well. To live in an understanding way with your wives means we must know her So that we can love her well. We must know what makes her tick. We must know what makes her insecure. We need to know what her deepest emotional and physical needs are. And then be considerate of those things. And nourish and cherish her by meeting those needs the way that we should. And the way that we come to know our wife and understand her is primarily by talking to her. By listening to her, by asking her questions, by engaging in deep, meaningful conversation with her. If you don't talk to your wife in a meaningful way, where she can open up to you and be heard by you, you are not serving her as you should. And you cannot possibly know and understand her to the depths that you should as a husband. We must know our wives and understand how God has knitted her together. So that, as we'll see in Proverbs 31, we appreciate her for who she is and what she accomplishes. And so Proverbs 31 verse 10 says, An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. That's beautiful. Depending on your translation that you use, excellent wife is rendered in so many different ways in the English. The NIV renders excellent wife as a a wife of noble character. The KJV translates it virtuous. The HCSB uses capable. Other translations use diligent and valiant. Whatever the translation you like, that's a wonderful list of qualities. Right? I mean, excellent, noble, virtuous, capable, diligent, valiant. Like that description should cause any man's heart to kind of soar and be like, yes, that's amazing. And the Hebrew word that's used there is this word cheil, which can be translated in all of those numerous ways in the English. But the context that it's used in often refers specifically to a person's moral worth. And so an excellent wife is a woman of moral worth. But but what does that mean? 
I want to I talk specifically a little bit to the young men in here who are not yet married as we talk about and define what does is, what is moral worth mean according to the scripture so that we know what kind of woman Proverbs 31 is referring to when it calls her morally worthy. Because I, I believe emphatically that it has major implications for marriage that we understand exactly what a woman of moral worth is according to God. And so moral worth can have a broad definition depending on an individual's worldview. But followers of Christ need to understand there's a difference between the world's definition of morality and God's definition. Every worldview, whether religious or non-religious, apart from Christianity, believes in moralism, which is the practice of morality. It can be, it can be defined by a religion's creed or it can be completely distinct of organized religion. Defined by a culture or a group's worldview. But regardless, moralism is a code that an individual or a group lives by, which dictates what is right and what is wrong, and what actions are morally acceptable or morally reprehensible. At the center of religious and non-religious moralism is deeds. That's what it's all about. It's about what you do. And moral worth is determined solely by your deeds. But this is not the nature or the true nature of moral worth as defined by God's word. There's more to it than that. Christians certainly have a moral code that we live by. We're called to live by biblical ethics. But Christians must understand our morality is not fundamentally rooted in or sustained by our deeds. Our moral deeds are the fruit of our moral worth. It is not the root of it. John Piper says this, The very essence of morality is not the deed we're doing. For example, not stealing or helping somebody change a tire on a bitter cold winter night. The essence of the morality there is not the deed. The essence of it is the mindset out of which the deed is growing. See, the true nature of moral worth comes from our inner being. Jesus teaches that our words and our actions come from the heart. And so if the heart is defiled, then how can any action coming from it be truly moral? So if our heart, our inner being, is where moral worth originates... What does God's worth say about the state of our hearts apart from Christ? It doesn't say anything good. After Paul spends chapter 1 and 2 of Romans explaining to the Jews and Gentiles in the church of Rome that Jew and Gentile apart from saving faith in Jesus Christ are both unrighteous, he says in Romans 3.9, both Jews and Greeks are under sin. He says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Speaking of the human condition, Isaiah says in Isaiah 64, We have all become like one who's unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Galatians 6, 8, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. The biblical understanding of the human condition is that it is not possible to be truly moral apart from salvation in Jesus Christ. We are incapable because of our slavery to sin, which makes us unclean. 
And even our deeds that would be considered righteous by almost any standard are unclean like a polluted garment. Or the more popular translation of that, filthy rags. You can go out, look up what that means if you don't know already. John Piper continues, he says, ethics has to flow out of a true view of God. And to reject Jesus Christ is to have an absolutely flawed view of God. Therefore, the ethic that flows from it as morality is going to be flawed. Even if some of the behavior is the same, the point of ethics is not merely the kernel or the shell of the behavior, but the inner convictions of the mind, the disposition of the heart, and the goal of what we're displaying. And so I I labor this point this morning because I think it's so important because I want to save heartache for the young men in here who are not yet married. What all of this means is that an excellent wife, as described in Proverbs 31, a woman of moral worth can only be a woman who has been ransomed by Jesus Christ. If moral worth comes through Christ and Christ alone, then the woman you desire to marry must know him. A woman who does not know Jesus may have some of the same behavior, but the inner convictions of her mind, the disposition of her heart, her view of life will be fundamentally different than yours. She is not the excellent wife described here. And to marry her will bring hardship to you. So an excellent woman, a woman of moral worth, is a follower of Jesus. I know that's a tough message. You've got to hear it, young guys. You have to hear it and you have to know it. Proverbs 31.10 continues and says, This kind of woman is hard to find. An excellent wife, who can find? She's more precious than jewels. So young man, an excellent wife is hard to find. So be diligent. I'll talk more about what that looks like in a moment, but but there's a principle in here that's important for us as men who are already married. For those of us who are married to a godly woman, I hope we understand the rarity of her makes her all the more precious. The, The writer compares such a wife to jewels, saying she's far more precious than jewels. The rarity of a jewel is what gives it more value. A jewel that is easily found in mind is not worth much. And so the writer is trying to emphasize that if you have found an excellent wife, she should be so wildly precious to you. And the preciousness of a wife to her husband is seen in how you treat her, the time you spend with her, and the effort that you put into loving her. Much like a comparison of a wife to jewels in in, uh, Proverbs 31.10, the book of Job uses a similar comparison between the value of precious stones and wisdom. Job says in 28.18, No mention shall be made of coral or crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. And so I point this out because in both of these instances, the word of God is using comparison to scrutinize the value that we place and the value that we assign on certain things, whether we assign value with the proper allocation or not. The comparison of assigned value is important for us men to reflect on. Do we value the right things as we should or do we assign an unbalanced amount of value to things that don't deserve it and undervalue the things that do? I'll use the example that came to mind from this text. In Old Testament times, 
Much like today, jewels were used as adornments, and they were used as ornaments. And much like today, there was a certain pursuit of such things. There were no banks back then, and so often people would uh, store value in things like jewels and fine goods if they were able to. A rich person would adorn themselves with fine garments and jewels on their hands to show their status. But God's word says a good wife is far more precious than these things. And, and, and not just more valuable, but far more valuable. In our day, men may not adorn themselves with jewels as much. Maybe some of you do. You do, you. But we adorn ourselves with other things. Gadgets. Tools, cars, equipment, you farmers in here, (laughs) games, guns, or how about our jobs? We're called to work and provide for our family. It's a good and right thing. But for many men, work is an adornment, and it shouldn't be. It's the main thing that they derive value from and compare status with other men. It's the first question we ask each other. And men often pursue work far too much and place a far greater value on their job than what should be given. I know too many men who are willing to put everything into their work in the pursuit of more money, more position, where they just get stuck in it And they don't pursue their wives. What that is, is an incorrect assignment of value. If you pursue work or other things like hobbies, things you enjoy doing more than you pursue your wife, your allocation of value is wrong. She's far more precious. And I'm not talking about the hours that you work, like you have to cut back your hours. Maybe some of you do. I'm talking about the effort that you give to work compared to home. So where is your time and your effort going? Can you earnestly say that you give your wife the time and effort that she should have? If not, then you need to ask your wife for forgiveness. for not valuing her the way that you should. Confess before the Lord, repent of it. And if you need support in reassigning value, come and talk to me. We can get together, figure it out. Now, I made this mistake in the past. When I first wanted to be in ministry, I've shared a little bit before, I pursued youth ministry with a crazy vigor. And I was volunteering as a youth pastor. I was preaching on Friday nights. I was preaching on Sunday mornings twice. I was running a team. I was working a full-time job as a manager. I had a brand new baby and a two-year-old marriage. And I'll tell you, regretfully, I pursued ministry to the detriment of my wife. And our marriage suffered in our second year. But the Lord graciously gave me clarity 
to see my absolute foolishness. And I vowed I would never make that mistake again. Because she's so valuable. And ever since, I have protected our marriage rigorously. Because I've learned. Like, I, like, honestly, like, I love being a pastor. Like, I love being a pastor. It's literally like what God made me for. I love this. I love this church. And it is an honor to serve all of you. But Kate is far more precious to me. And that's how we, all of us men, have to look at our wives. What do you assign value to? To the young men in here, if you're not yet married, start preparing yourself now to cherish your wife more than jewels so that you're able to when you do have her. Andy Stanley has an excellent sermon series from several years ago called The New Rules for Love, Sex, and Dating. Watch it and apply it. In that sermon series, he asks the question, are you the person who you are looking for is looking for? And it's an excellent question, right? What it means is if you want an excellent wife, are you preparing yourself to be an excellent husband? Like if, if you're a disaster, you cannot expect to find an excellent wife. Or maybe you'll fool her and then that's unfortunate for her. The choices you make now prepare you to either be able to cherish an excellent wife as you should or not. Don't chase frivolous things. Don't throw yourself completely into your work. Don't sit around watching pornography. Learn responsibility. Learn independence. Learn how to manage your money. Learn how to respect women. Do not listen to songs or watch movies that dishonor them. Learn what being a man is according to God's word because the world will try to tell you and it's wrong. Know what a man is according to God's word and most of all, pursue God and love him and live to honor him and you will be well on your way to preparing yourself to love an excellent woman. Proverbs 31.11 The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. I covered already briefly that the, the heart represents the inner being, the, the core of who we are. And Proverbs 31, 11 says, an excellent wife is completely trustworthy. In our core, we can trust our excellent wife with full confidence as she brings no lack of gain to her husband. The word gain is, is translated value in other renderings, but the Greek word for it is this word shalal. And, and men, you'll like this. It refers to the spoils of war. And so that, that's pretty cool. Right? So what, what Proverbs is telling us there is that an excellent wife in who we trust brings such value to our hus- her husband like the victor who routed his enemies in a war. Come on. And he receives the bounty and the plunder from his victory. That's manly. You got to be excited about that. I want to end with Proverbs 31, 28. 
And it's something that hits home personally for me. Verse 28 says, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. You know, when it, when it says her children rise up, the picture that's being portrayed is that of an individual who rises up before giving a formal speech. It's similar to, to how I'm standing before you now and, and preaching the word of God or how a priest in the Old Testament would stand up in order to bless the people or would stand up in order to read the word of God. It means this, this formal testimony, this testifying to something. And so the, the children and the husband of an excellent woman should testify to her worth. Her children recognize that she is blessed from the Lord and her husband praises her saying, verse 29, many women have done excellently, but you surpassed them all. Men, it's a call to praise our wives. And it's a call to use words to do so. The reason why it hits home for me is I'm not always the most verbal. Up here, I am. <laughs> and we'll talk all the time. But I'm sometimes not always the most verbal in this. And I'll think it in my mind, oh my gosh, she's amazing, and I need to tell her that. <laughs> I'll show it with my actions, but sometimes my words fall. And so, for me, I read that and I go, man, I, I long to improve in that. I think it's something that every husband should long to improve in is the praise of our wives, acknowledging just what she does in a day. I'll tell you, three kids at home. It's like the odd time where Kate's sick and I'm home and I'm like, oh my gosh, can't do it. But sadly, man, praise of our wives often comes from outside our homes. It should be us in the front of the line praising her because not only is it just honorable to do so, but it strengthens her hand. It encourages her. I just say to every man in here right now, if you were to die right in this moment, what will you have wanted to have said to your wife? Go ahead. Not now. <laughs> May every single one of us guys in here, married or not, recognize and exalt in the preciousness of an excellent wife. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, pray for the men in here. Father, if we're married, help us to honor our wives well. May our lips open and praise her. May we make it our mission to come to know her well. For some, it goes against our nature to, to sit and have deep conversations. But Lord, we must learn to do it for the sake of our wives. Lord, may we serve her well. May not just our children, but, but others call her blessed. Father, I pray for the young men in here who, who one day want to be married. 
Keep their path straight and narrow, Lord. Don't let them sway to the left or to the right. There's so many things that want to pull them in different directions. And most of them are going to pull them into a deep pit of sin. And so protect them, Lord. Protect their minds and protect their hearts. For the dads of men who are around that dating age and older, Lord, strengthen them. Help them to teach their sons how to honor a woman. Lord, let us be lights in this area. The world defines men in such a twisted and wrong way. And a man, according to how you have defined it, is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so let us strive on to that, Lord, that we may honor the name of Christ and be an example to the world of what a man really is. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We know that we'll fall short, and we thank you that you pick us up when we come to you and repent. We give you praise, Lord, for Jesus, who ransomed us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand, let's sing one more song together.